All right, we are back here on Unshakable. Thanks for uh, joining me here today. We are in our second episode on the issue of Christian nationalism. And we're going to pick up today where we left off last time, talking about the eschatology that sort of underpins this very popular movement now of Christian nationalism. If you're not aware of it, there's a lot of people talking about this. It's Some of it's on the academic level. Books are being written. Some of it's on the pastoral level. Some is just you know, Christians on the ground, folks who are tired of all the moral chaos, and they want a movement to join right now where they can push back against this cultural moral chaos that they see around us. So today we're going to talk more about what post-millennialism believes and what that might look like in the future, what they think it might look like in the future. And then make sure you come back next time. I will give you my biblical critique of why I think it's a wrong position and why hopefully convince you that you should be pre-mill and not post-mill. But for today, let's go back to again to their, their vision of what the kingdom of God is. In spite of what they see happening all around the world, and listen, they would be, post-mills would be the first ones to admit that the world is spiraling down in terms of uh, morality, in terms of culture. Um, and they would admit that the church in the West in particular has been greatly weakened in recent decades, and that the the gospel, the power of the gospel, sort of been drained out by apostasy and by a soft version of evangelical Christianity. But still, in spite of all we see going on around us today, they see in the future a progressive expansion of Christianity across the entire globe. Okay, they would say every nation eventually is going to be evangelize. Now, they'd be the first to say that doesn't mean everybody gets saved, okay? They're not universalists, but they would say the overwhelming majority of people groups and nations will be Christianized, okay? That's an important term, Christianized. So if not saved, not if, if not a regeneration of the heart, if not true salvation, at a minimum, they see outward behavior changing. They see morality growing again, because they would say people are coming under God's law and under the Lordship of Christ. Now, how is that going to happen? That's where the details get kind of fuzzy and depends who you talk, talk to. Some post mills would say, well, we recognize how bad it is today. So this process is probably going to take hundreds of years, if not even thousands of years. And then there's another branch of post mills who would say, well, not necessarily. It's possible that some cataclysmic event um, could happen in the world that would spark a great revival. And even within a short period of time, maybe even decades, that uh, the entire world will look to Christ for truth and come under his lordship. But however it happens, whether you pick that path or that path, every post mill agrees that there is coming at some point a, a spiritual golden age. Um, where the earth is going to look completely different, where there's going to be peace and unity and righteousness and more. And, and they would see this in the Old Testament prophets, whereas we would say, yes, that, that kingdom is coming of peace and righteousness and unity. All that is coming. And we would say because the Messiah has returned in power and is ruling from the earth and his peace will radiate from Jerusalem. They would say, no, Christ will remain in heaven, ruling from there, and it's through his church that the influence of Christianity will reach to the ends of the earth. And, and that, that 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 gospelizing, that evangelism will bring about this peace and righteousness that will then precede 
Christ's return to the earth. And by the way, they would agree that that involves uh, Israel. They would say that there's going to be a, a massive outpouring of salvation in Israel right before Christ returns. And when all that happens, when the church gets out to the ends of the earth and the whole world is Christianized, that is when they would say that Christ is going to return and establish his earthly kingdom. So now let's talk about what that type of a world might look like in a post-mill scheme. What type of social and, and legal results will come out of that? This gradual expanding of the kingdom through God's law, they say, will have a transformational effect upon all societies and all cultures. And of course, it will get better and better as more and more people are either converted to Christ or come under the lordship of Christ and obey his law. But Consider that for just a second. Imagine a world, it's so hard for us right now, where every Muslim country is turning to Christ. The, not just the people, but the, but the government, the nation, all of it. Um, all the secular governments and nations in the West. Um, Israel itself, talk about uh, communist countries, socialist countries, everybody turning to Christ. So Christian principles, they say, will be increasingly accepted and practiced in all these nations across the world. And as a result, sin is going to change greatly. Now, they, the post-mill will not say that sin is going to be entirely eradicated, but they do talk about because people are coming under the law, that sin is going to be reduced and even to negligible amounts is what they say. So the world looks different. So righteousness will come to the earth, according to Post Mill. Wars will cease. People will flourish. Uh, global poverty will be fixed. All these things happen. And again, they point to the Old Testament prophets who clearly talk about this millennial period where, where things are going to change, where, where all these things happen. They would point to that and say, that's what we're looking forward to, not because Christ has returned, but because the church has been faithful to evangelize. So this is what post mills are looking for through Christian nationalism. They are looking for an improvement in culture through obedience to the Lordship of Christ. What they want, what they're looking for, what they think this Christian nationalist movement will bring through a post-millennial view is public morality and political unity and economic prosperity for all. So they would say that as more and more of this is happening, and again, it could be in a short period of time, could be thousands of years, as more of it happens, it will be physical, it will be visible, and it will be publicly acknowledged by all. Every domain of human activity will be renewed, they say. Again, very optimistic, right? We look around the world today, we're like, are you sure about this? Very optimistic. They see this taking place at some point in the future. Now, what other theological underpinnings do post mills have for their view of the future? Well, a lot of it goes back to the Old Testament promises that were given to ethnic and national Israel. Only now, as I explained in last week's video, post mills believe that those promises were actually given not to national or ethnic Israel, but to the new Israel, or the transformed Israel is the term that they will often use. The true seed of Abraham, they say, which is the church, okay, which is, is, uh, is God's people today, new covenant believers, both Jew and Gentile brought into one body. And so all those promises in the Old Testament, especially the ones 
given to Abraham, which talk about great success that he will have, how he's going to influence every generation. His people will be like the sand on the seashore and stars in the sky. That Those promises are, are guarantees of great success, that all nations will be conquered by the gospel of Christ and be discipled in the Christian faith. So again, they take all these promises given to Abraham and apply them today in the church and then sort of combine that with the Great Commission, which we'll get to in just a second. And so that is what is going to bring about this, this millennial period of great peace and prosperity and unity on the earth. And again, once that happens, then Jesus returns to establish his kingdom. Now, they would point to uh, Psalm 110, which is a very famous messianic psalm. They would point to that as part of their justification to say that Jesus will not return until that that earthly condition is established. And they would point to this statement in Psalm 110 where the Father says this to the Son, sit at my right, sit at my right hand until, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So the kingdom of God, they would say, has to triumph in history before Christ leaves heaven. He will not leave his place at the Father's right hand until after his enemies have become a footstool. That's what they would say. And then they would see Revelation 19 as the fulfillment of that, uh, that statement in Psalm 110. When, when, when God finally does make all of Jesus' enemies his footstool, then in Revelation 19, Jesus is sort of unleashed to come to earth and to wipe out the small amount of his enemies that remain. And that's an interesting thing when they interpret Revelation 19, which talks about Jesus coming and you know the sword comes out of his mouth and he, he wipes out his enemies. They would say that, at that point, most of the earth has been conquered by the gospel, that the enemies of Christ are few and far between, and they will make a stand against him, and he will destroy his enemies, and then the whole earth, of course, will be bowing to him as king. Okay, what are some other key passages that post-mills like to point to? Well, they see in the Old Testament, among the prophets, Isaiah in particular, this idea that that at some point Zion is going to be exalted among the nations and that the people of the world are going to stream to Jerusalem so that they can know God better, so that they can understand His law and walk in His ways. And we agree that you will find that in the Old Testament prophets. It's what we call the millennial period, where Jerusalem does become the center point of attention of the entire world. But whereas we would say the reason for that coming to pass is because Jesus has returned and because he's present on the earth and ruling from Jerusalem, the post mill would say, no, we're in this spiritualized millennial period right now. Again, we say that millennial period of peace and righteousness is coming later because Jesus is reigning on the earth. They would say, no, we're in this millennial period right now, spiritualized, of course, and that this lifting up of Zion happens gradually. Again, over hundreds, maybe thousands of years where in increasing measure, the people of the world are streaming to Jerusalem. And they would say, well, this makes perfect sense. As more and more people are being Christianized, as they are coming under God's law, they would want to make a pilgrimage to Zion to, uh, to know this God that they are now serving. And then at some point they would say, as this righteousness, as this peace is spreading, as more people are streaming to Jerusalem, that is the point when Jesus will return. And of course, they would say Jerusalem then will be ready for her. Now, having said that, this is where it gets a little interesting. Post mills do affirm that right at the end, there is going to be an apostasy. 
there is going to be a rebellion. And they're going to say that Satan has to be released in the last days, and he will spark this rebellion. And for those who remain on the earth who have not bowed a knee to Christ, he will cause them to make a stand against Jesus in the last days. This brings up an interesting thing, because both in the ah-mill and in the post-mill scheme of things, they have to say, if we're in the millennium right now, that right now Satan is bound. I don't know. To me, it doesn't feel like that, right? But they would say, because a simple reading of Revelation 20 says that Satan is bound before the thousand years, before the millennial period. So, look, if, if we're currently living in the millennium, and I would challenge an amill or a post-mill person, they're going to have to show me. They have to make the case that Satan is bound today. More on that next week. So, again, just to sort of wrap up what the prophets talk about, all Jesus then has to do when he returns in a post-mill scheme is to destroy these few enemies that remain and, and deal with Satan. And then his time on earth will be very short. His rule as he comes back will be very short. He'll wipe out his enemies and then comes judgment and the eternal state. Finally, let me come back to the Great Commission. Postmillennialists see the Great Commission of Matthew 28 as more than just an exhortation to gospel mission. Whereas we would see it as Uh, Jesus' instruction for us to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth and to evangelize uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and to call the elect into the kingdom in the midst of a world that is growing ever darker and more desperate, post-millennialists will see the Great Commission as a prophecy and a prediction of total success. That as the gospel goes forth to the ends of the world, Jesus is promising that all nations and all lands and all people will indeed be Christianized. So it's Christ's will, they say, by reading Matthew 28, that passage, they say it's Christ's will that all people will come under God's law. And if that's God's will, then it's going to come to pass. And by the way, I would agree with him to this extent. If that is God's will, because he's sovereign, it will come to pass. I just don't agree that that's what Jesus meant in the in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But that's for next week. So let that be the teaser. Again, next week I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you my biblical critique of, the, of these ideas and give you, I think, a solid base for a premillennial perspective. So can't wait to see you next week. Until then, remain unshakable and love each other well. See you soon.